You're listening to Westminster Insider. We'll get started right after this. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Today's episode is presented by Lloyd's Banking Group. Everyone deserves a safe place to call home. That's why Lloyd's Banking Group has championed the social housing sector for decades, supporting more than 340 housing associations across the UK. A week is a long time in politics, goes the time-honoured cliché. And don't I know it. I'm recording this now on Thursday afternoon, just back from the most bonkers few days at the Conservative Party conference in Birmingham. Exhausted, bewildered, broken. And that's just the journalists. Has any Prime Minister had a start to their Premiership quite like this? The death of the Queen, a disastrous budget, the markets in turmoil, the Conservatives' poll ratings tanking, a party in open rebellion, a dramatic late-night U-turn, rumblings about leadership challenges, letters of no confidence, and all the rest. Liz Truss, remember, is just four weeks into the job she'd always craved. This, in theory, is the honeymoon period. What a time to send a struggling new Prime Minister and her government into the goldfish bowl of Tory conference. It was wild. Nobody should have any nerves. It's all calm. All calm. Hello. I basically said, look, I know what's happening. Unless you deny it, I think we're in a position to write it. And they didn't deny it. I was going to say there's a sense of impending doom, but I think when we take impending out, it might just be doom. So, from Politico, I'm Alva Ray, and this week on Westminster Insider, I'm taking you behind the scenes of an extraordinary, historic Conservative Party conference. Buckle up. Day one. The sun is shining, there's a slight chill in the air, and things kick off in Birmingham the way that Tory conferences always do these days with angry protests outside. And inside, with the big Sunday morning leaders interview on BBC One, now hosted by our guest from last week's episode, Laura Coonsberg. As tends to be the way with Laura Kay, it was proper box office stuff. Liz Truss was forced to acknowledge that she had got things badly wrong in her budget. We should have laid the ground better. But there are, I there, do there, accept that. You accept you and should I, have laid I, the ground better. And I have learnt from that. I have learnt from that. While doubling down on its most politically contentious measure. Are you absolutely committed to abolishing the 45 pence tax rate for the wealthiest people in the country? Yes. 
At one point, she appeared to throw her close friend and chancellor, Quasi Quarteng, under the bus for that unpopular decision. It was a decision that um, the chancellor made. And as tends to be the way with Liz Truss, there were more than a few just, well, quite awkward moments. How many people voted for your plan? You could almost hear Tory MPs toes curling around the country as that pause went on and on. What do you mean by that? But even better than all of that was that sitting off camera, just a few metres away from the Prime Minister, was her former Cabinet colleague, Michael Gove, waiting on Laura's panel to give his verdict. To have as your principal decision cutting tax for the wealthiest, that is a display of the wrong values. Now, the joy and occasional peril of the journey to party conference is that you tend to find yourself sitting near loads of other random faces from Westminster on the train. In the worst-case scenario, you might find yourself locked in a two-hour conversation with the most boring MP in England. Luckily, this year, I was sat just behind Paul Wall, the chief political commentator at the I newspaper, the perfect person to sit down with at the Five Guys at Birmingham New Street Station when we arrived to chew the fat about the morning's events. Well, it was very significant that Liz Truss clearly wanted the main message to start conference with. It was a, a note of humility. In an interview with Laura Koonsberg, she wanted Bezting to say that she got some of the comms wrong, the preparation for the big mega budget hadn't been done properly. Although I thought it was significant she talked about we had got that wrong rather than I had got that wrong. And I think a lot of people will assume that was more than a little reference to Quasi Kwarteng taking some of the blame for it. But I think Michael Gove, his immediate response to, to, to Liz Truss this morning, showed a sort of spikiness I didn't quite expect him to have. I mean, I thought it was fascinating that she tried, she looked at Gove directly across the, the interview room this morning. Instead of looking at Laura Koonsberg, Liz Truss looked at Michael Gove directly in his eyes and smiled at him and said, I will do what I can to win the hearts and minds of my colleagues across the Conservative Party. And that attempt at warmth was met with the most icy response by Gove. There is an inadequate realisation at the top of government of the scale of change required. It could have been a feature on Frozen Planet too, it was so icy. <laughs> So here we are, we have arrived into the hub of it all. You can hear the buzz right behind me. I can spot lots of different Conservative MPs giving interviews. Um, and it's really, really packed. After this morning, first thing we have to do is go off in hunt of Disruptor-in-Chief Michael Gove, who is down to speak at nine fringe events, more than any other politician in the agenda so we're going to find him see what he has to say because he more than anyone else is sort of representing this rift between Liz Truss and her backbenchers the cues for these panels where Michael Gove was due to speak snaked around the conference centre with a buzz following him wherever he went worryingly for Liz Truss one of the organisers described them to me as Boris-style cues. Just like Boris when he was Mayor of London, or during the dying days of the Theresa May era, Gove turned up 
and torpedoed conference. <laughs> so we have our first minor controversy of conference because uh, the room for Michael Gove is full and there's... Um, I was told to wait. I was told to wait ten minutes ago and I'm not being let in. How am I meant to do my job? Yeah, I know, but it wasn't ten minutes ago, old boy, when I was told to wait. That, of course, was Quentin Letts from The Times. And don't worry, Quentin uh, did make it into the room eventually. The drive for tax cuts. As Michael Gove toured the fringes that day, he repeated the same lines again and again. The same message he had delivered on Laura Koonsberg in the morning. People need to feel and need to see that when we are making the case for tax cuts, that the people who benefit first are those who have least. The message discipline of an experienced Tory big beast with an agenda to set and scores to settle. But of course, not everyone was happy with Michael Gove's crusade. And he was challenged on it more than once by frustrated party members. And he was more than happy to double down. Millionaires will gain by tens of thousands of pounds as a result of these tax cuts. And people on average and below average incomes will not. Um, And that, I think, is the wrong priority. Now, there are other factors. Why did Michael Gove choose to set off a well-mannered, articulate, slightly camp grenade at conference like that, when so many like-minded colleagues just decided to stay away? What does Michael Gove want? Gove's fiercest critics were saying that this was just about revenge, about yesterday's man wanting to show Liz Truss quite how difficult he can make things for her, if he tries. His allies said it's because he's got nothing to lose. He cares about his party, about ideas, he sees which way the party's headed, and he wants to shape the conversation. The conversation for opposition, basically. If I'm proven wrong, then uh, Liz will not only have grown the pie, she will also have ensured that there is a massive humble pie which I will have to eat. Already on day one of conference, things felt different to the slick, glossy, moneyed show the Conservatives usually put on. On my travels following Michael Gove, I bumped into my old lobby colleague, Patrick Maguire, now of the Times, on his way back from a good old traditional, dare I say, slightly boozy, conference lunch. What are you making of it so far, Pat? The most striking thing is coming straight off the back of a Labour conference where the party was united, um, the place was crawling with lobbyists in a way that Labour conference hasn't been. I've been going to conference since 2017 and this was the first time really I felt that the Labour party was being treated as a government in waiting and the most reliable barometer of that is the number of corporate lobbyists you try and avoid in the bars of an evening. This time, yeah there are corporate lobbyists here, in a way they always are at Tory conference, but not markedly more than Labour. And also the striking thing is that just this absence of MPs. You know, it's not so much the party is disunited, it's that one half of the party has opted out. It's like the Tory party is split already. Split already, with the clamour of discontent about the so-called mini-budget growing louder and louder. So, I nipped out of the conference centre, past some more noisy protesters, and over to the real hub of the action to catch up with someone who could encapsulate the mood of the Tory party, who knows its cabinet ministers and its grassroots. Tim Montgomery, the founder of Conservative Home, 
a former advisor to Boris Johnson and a senior contributor at GB News. Tim, we're um, perched in a corner of the Hyatt Hotel Bar. What do you make of it so far? How would you describe the mood? Well, my current life, Alva, is wondering whether my football team, Manchester United, or my political party, Conservative Party, is in worse trouble. I think to have embarked on something as unpopular as the contents of the mini-budget were, um, without the mandate and under a leader who doesn't seem to be able to sell the policy, that's pretty bleak territory for any political party. Are you picking that up from your Tory contacts as well? Because I suppose one of the things here is that a lot of MPs haven't, haven't shown up, as far as I can tell. Lots of the most concerned people are staying away. Are you hearing that from people you know, outside of Birmingham as well? Yeah, well, it doesn't seem to be anyone coming to conference there obviously are people here but a lot of the big beasts have certainly stayed away and I think their mood is is almost like helpless I mean, normally you can see a you know series of actions or a, a course to plot which might sort of get you back to where the Conservative Party needs to be but at the moment they're so frightened by the scale of the move in public opinion Uh, They're frightened by a leadership that doesn't seem to want to play by the rules. You know, Liz Truss hasn't really done many broadcast interviews. Perhaps we can understand why now. She appointed a cabinet that didn't really include any of her opponents. And then she thought she could announce, you know, a fiscal statement which didn't play by the rules. There's a political deafness, I think, to the Liz Truss operation, which is also frightening MPs. And I suppose as a founder of Conservative Home, you're also quite in touch with the Tory grassroots. Only a few weeks ago, the Tory membership voted for Liz Truss to be leader. What kind of mood are you getting from members about whether they have buyer's remorse, maybe? (laughs) Well, I think one thing people should remember about the leadership race was Liz Truss was never the first choice of Tory members. You know, the early polling, it was Kemi Badenoch. There was quite a lot of support for Tom Tugendhat quite a lot of support for um, Penny Morden. Liz Truss was definitely preferred over Rishi Sunak, but she wasn't their first choice. So I think you can overstate the loyalty that members have to her anyway. There's been you know, lots of stuff in the, on social media and everything say she only has the mandate of 80,000 Tory members. I would argue, however, she doesn't even have that because I voted for Liz Truss, but I didn't vote for a cut in the top rate of tax. So... She doesn't have a mandate from members. I would say the star of the day so far is probably Michael Gove. What have you made of of him? I sent him a text earlier just telling him, you're my hero and carry on fighting. And um, I uh, will look forward to giving him a big hug when I see him later. What happens now? I don't see necessarily a way forward. That's what everyone's been sort of whispering to me, that they don't necessarily see a way back for Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng in terms of winning back the support of their MPs. What do you think is going to happen now? Talking to cabinet ministers, not just Conservative MPs, but cabinet ministers, I think they feel there's a choice and it's not a very appetising choice for the party. It's the party's a joke party or a dead party. The joke party is one where we change leaders yet again, you know, more than the average third division football club. Or a dead party where we stick with a leader who's led the party in three weeks to a 33% opinion poll deficit. A dead party or a joke party. And then at that point, Grant Shapps, 
Another big hitter Liz Truss refused to appoint to her cabinet stuck his oar in. Tories aren't meant to govern like this, was the title of his blistering op-ed in The Times. He called her plan to cut taxes for the richest in society politically tin-eared, building on the pressure that Michael Gove had been stoking all day. One month into the job, the chatter about whether Liz Truss would need to be replaced, and soon, was flowing with the champagne and the warm white wine that evening. And one absent MP was never far from people's minds. So I've just come out of the bar and as I was leaving, I bumped into an ERG member and asked how they thought it was going after this mad day. And quite pointedly, I thought they just said, you know, we've just had a meeting of the Conservative Friends of Ukraine and we've appointed Boris as our new president, he got a huge cheer. Huge cheers for Boris. Da, da, da. So, of course, in a way, whoever is president of Conservative Friends of Ukraine, uh, you know, a grouping that probably most people haven't heard of, is not terribly important. What is important is that you bump into an MP who, on the face of it, backs Liz Truss, um, was supporting her only a few weeks ago, and they actually declined to say anything positive and just quietly stoke this quiet sense of Boris mania. As the night drew on and the hotel bar filled with young Tories and lobbyists in navy suits, the politicians and journalists slipped away to ever more exclusive champagne receptions upstairs in security guarded ballrooms in the Hilton Hyatt Hotel and rooftop bars around the city. It felt like we were sipping champagne on the sinking Titanic. At the Conservative home party, Liz Truss was there shaking people's hands. People were saying she was like a rag doll, um, like a dead woman walking. You know, she had a sort of thousand yard stare, avoiding eye contact with people. It just seemed a little bit damaged. And of course, Liz Truss isn't really known for her interpersonal skills at the best of times. Uh, but I think a definite sense that she's been weakened by the events of the past few days. And as one right-leaning journalist and commentator murmured to me, it's the end of days, and that is, that is sort of the mood here. Monday morning, day two. With their champagne-induced hangovers across Birmingham, panicked journalists and cabinet ministers were waking up to a surprise. We have been reporting that the Chancellor is abandoning his plans to scrap the 45p rate of income tax. After nine days of doubling down, through the plunge of the pound, the crisis in pension funds, dizzying increases in mortgage rates, Liz Truss and Quasi Quarteng, who pride themselves on the strength of their convictions, their willingness to be unpopular if necessary made the mother of all U-turns. And they did it at their own party conference in the dead of night, just hours before Quarteng's big speech. We can speak to him now. What was clear, talking to lots of people, talking to MPs, talking to uh, people, uh, our voters, talking to our constituents, was that the 45p rate was a huge distraction on what was a very strong plan. So we've got energy intervention. Last night, I got word that, that Liz Truss was in a meeting with Quasi Quarteng 
And then around midnight with, you know, lots of people either already asleep or the papers already on their way to press and um, the sort of the day in politics done. A scoop from Harry Cole disrupted things. So I'm going to track down Harry, the Sun political editor behind that scoop, to get the inside story. My favourite thing about Tory party conferences is that you lock all of our contacts into a hotel, ply them with multiple pounds of alcohol, and so anyone that thought that story would probably hold overnight was deluded. But my understanding is the decision was taken around 9 o'clock, 9.30ish, by the Prime Minister. She summoned Mr Quarting to her suite and was pretty brutal in, in telling him it was done. She had taken soundings, she'd seen the numbers, she'd you know, realised the, the game is up. Basically, I started to see lots of people looking quite worried on their mobile phones, officials, aides and the types like that. And um, I happened to catch one of them looking pretty worried on the phone, put a foot in the lift door. And um, I basically said, look, I know what's happening. If you're, um, unless you deny it, I think we're um, in a position to write it. And they didn't deny it. <laughs> evil laugh Harry had to ring the night editor of the Sun to tell them to stop the press Liz Truss had realised she wouldn't be able to pass the 45p rate cut through the Commons you know it's a fairly extraordinary time when cabinet ministers themselves are finding out about a government U-turn that's taking place from Twitter and the Sun website rather than actually being told by their Prime Minister Um, but my understanding was they weren't told until 7am this morning but um, it's not the first time that uh, a story like that has broken at conference with the liberal application of alcohol and, and lots of people crammed into very small rooms The U-turn averted a crisis in the short term, but for the longer term, it may not bode so well. Tail between their legs, forced to reverse the policy that encapsulated who they hoped to be in government, Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng had seen their authority and their vision ebb away in a flash. I spent that day chasing politicians around fringes and chatting to Tory MPs. But the main event, of course, would be the Chancellor's speech. In the hall, 4pm, the U-turn done and dusted, everyone holding their breath. Please welcome the Chancellor of the Exchequer. What a day. It has been tough, but we need to focus on the job. Hastily rewritten through the night, this was an impossible speech to tiptoe around a humiliating climb down. With questions still swirling about whether he would or should be sacked, the embattled Chancellor tried to square the circle of sticking to his guns, his radicalism, his tax-cutting agenda, while also desperately trying to row back and reassure the markets. Conference. We will get Britain moving. So Kwasi's just finished his speech. It was a a smattering of people, we would say, um, giving him um, a standing ovation. Most people still seated, it should be said. It was great. It's really great. Look at my T-shirt. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> can I? Can, sorry, I can't read all the. All the Let me take this. Bold move done. <laughs> Very good with with Liz Truss on your dress. Amazing, thank you. 
There's always time to chat with the news from home. So, fresh from the conference hall, I took a minute to discuss the speech with RTE. This is the party faithful, so I had a few people saying that it was great. Um, but to be honest, the mood in the hall wasn't great. Um, I mean, I think he's still got the obligatory standing ovation on the, on the floor of the conference, but not in the gallery. There were actually a lot of mentions from him of fiscal discipline. He used the phrase ironclad fiscal discipline. He talked about conservatives being into fiscal rules. Obviously, that wasn't really the message of last Friday. But he was you know, prepared to make these tax cuts without saying how he was going to fund them. And they didn't get an OBR assessment. So I think in that sense, there was a really concerted effort from him today to just calm nerves in the market. It just scuttles off to a quiet corner. I've been speaking to lots of Tory MPs today, some over the phone and, and some, obviously there aren't that many, some here in person as well. And you know, speaking to some Rishi Sunak backers, it's just extraordinary the candor with which people are speaking and just quite how grim the outlook is. You know, they've been saying things like she has zero authority now. As one person just put it to me, she won't be able to do anything difficult now. If she tries, for example, to bring in difficult planning reforms or whatever, they'll laugh in her face because they're going to lose their seats and, and there's no way of forcing them to vote for difficult measures. There's been lots of gallows humour, I'd say, as well, about the, the various media rounds that their colleagues have been doing, in particular circulation. Gillian Keegan on Times Radio insisting that the whole party is behind Liz. The party has united behind Liz Truss. No, they haven't. Yes, they have. The party has not united around They'll Liz Truss. united around this. And then Lee Anderson, good old Lee, as one, one referred to him, well, you can just listen to what Lee Anderson said. It's not a U-turn, Alison, it's a change of direction. That's what it is, a change of policy. It's Look, a I think it's a, I think it's the right thing to do. At the end of day two, no one was really talking about the contents of Quasi Quarteng's hastily rewritten speech. It was all about the U-turn and what would happen back in Parliament. They had incurred the damage of the policy without actually being able to deliver it. One despairing cabinet source said to me that the party was now essentially ungovernable. They said that some MPs had gone mad, blowing things up because they'd forgotten who the real enemy is and just how bad opposition is. At the champagne receptions, Michael Gove, the victor, was backed into corners, holding court, surrounded by crowds of journalists hanging off his every word. He seemed to be rather enjoying himself. But it would get even crazier on day three. Stay with us. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A message from Lloyds Banking Group. Lloyds Banking Group has championed social housing for decades. It provides finance, expertise and guidance 
to more than 340 housing associations across the UK. These range from small local associations of several hundred homes to much larger regional associations responsible for tens of thousands of properties. Each has an important role to play in their community to help people find a safe place to call home. Improving access to quality and affordable homes is central to Lloyds Banking Group's commitment to helping Britain prosper. That's why Lloyds Banking Group is calling for one million more homes to be made available for social rent over the next decade. Tuesday, day three. And I suppose you might call the theme of this day all-out war. If day one was Gove Day and day two was the U-turn, then this was the day that cabinet discipline collapsed. Penny Mordaunt, former leadership contender and a senior member of Liz Truss's new cabinet, began the day by breaking ranks. I'll try once more. Do you think the benefits should rise in line with inflation? I have always supported, uh, whether it's pensions, whether it's uh, our welfare system, uh, keeping pace uh, with inflation. It's, uh, it makes sense uh, to do so. Penny Mordaunt was laying down a marker. Like some other cabinet colleagues privately, she wants benefits to rise with inflation rather than in line with wages, the cheaper option that Liz Truss wants. Downing Street was furious with Mordaunt. I was going to say there's a sense of impending doom, but I think maybe take impending out. Um, it might just be doom. This is one of the best connected journalists in Westminster, Katie Bowles, the deputy political editor of The Spectator. It's not as though people are in open revolt, but it feels as though this conference has just set the tone for this trust's premiership, which is it will be troubled and racked with problems. And uh, I think that had she not done this U-turn, we'd be in a situation where that would have just dominated about the 45. But now, speaking to you know everyone here, I think it's just how do you keep her in number 10? As you know, how do you shore up her position? Um, and how do you try and push some reform through an increasingly divided party? And I think that's what Liz Truss's team are currently trying to work out. So it's gone from perhaps being this coronation moment of victory for Liz Truss um, to one which is almost a damage limitation exercise. Can you shed a bit of light for us on the relationship between Liz Truss and Quasi Quarteng now? Because it seemed like she slightly threw him under the bus when she said it was his decision on the Laura Koonsberg show and then um, she pushed him into that U-turn we gather. Can you just give us a little bit of insight into all of that and and where that relationship is now? Well I think this is a really interesting one because I'm not sure she did mean to throw Quasi Kwarteng under a bus on that Sunday interview. The sense I get is that she was not nimble enough or media savvy enough to work out how it was going to come across. Um, I think there's always like cock up or conspiracy and often politics it's the former and I think what she was trying to say was this wasn't a decision made by my cabinet these decisions are made in the treasury by the chancellor but of course it was quickly seen as you're trying to throw this really toxic policy onto your chancellor and all the discontent um, among MPs what's their next move now that they've got this u-turn well I think they'll just keep coming back for more now Ultimately, MPs think the lady is for turning, so what can you get next? And obviously, we'll see with benefits and whether that rises with inflation. That would be one of the big fights. But the other thing is, ultimately, Liz Truss's problem is not, is she forced out in the next two weeks? It is ultimately one of political capital 
and this is why there is a problem with being unpopular whether or not you personally are okay with it which is you lose political capital and to reassure the markets and also for her plan to have any chance of working she needs to get some really tricky supply side reform through the house of commons but ultimately if you have an ungovernable tory party but also a leader who wants to do some quite radical things the landing space is pretty narrow the chaos and freelancing from cabinet ministers continued all day. Suella Braverman had already angered number 10 with briefings about her speech and some comments to Christopher Hope from The Telegraph. I'm very disappointed that members of our own parliamentary party uh, staged a coup effectively and undermined the authority of the Prime Minister. She may have been intending to be helpful, but members of the government had their head in their hands. They were meant to be playing down the rebellion and the difficulties of the past few days, not bringing the tensions into the open air. Discipline had collapsed and chaos reigned. So I'm standing in, I don't know what you call it, but the little sort of corridor with fake grass where all of the different marquees for the different think tanks are all in a row uh, for Conservative Home, for PLMOR, Business, Policy Exchange, basically all the right-wing think tanks each have their own marquee. And it's fair to say it's quite febrile here right now. So basically on my left, you have a discussion about the future of conservatism with Michael Gove, and you know who's been breaking quite a lot of news in the past few days, and Suella Braverman, who has you know just talked about a coup there in one tent, and then literally on the other side of the wall, 10 metres away from where Michael Gove and Suella Braverman are sitting in the other tent, you have Quasi Quarting, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, still in conversation with the IEA and the Taxpayers Alliance, the think tanks that have have really backed him and who share so many of the ideas that underpinned his controversial mini-budget. Someone said to me, um, they think it's all going to kick off tonight. It's already about 6pm here now. Um, That there's just so much gossip. It's so tense between um, some people from number 10 just going past. Hello. So I just had to stop recording there for a little chat with um, someone from Number 10 uh, who absolutely, um, I think, despaired <laughs> to learn that um, Quasi Quarteng has uh, essentially sort of blamed the Queen's death for the, the poor landing of the mini-budget. Michael, if you've got concerns, if you've got disagreements, raise them in private. Don't air your dirty linen in public. While it was all kicking off on the fringe events, I slipped away from the conference centre, past the canal, to find a quiet corner of a pub to catch up with another person in number 10 about how it was really going at their end. When the dust settles, I think there'll be big questions about how Liz Truss is running her Downing Street operation. I think it's, it's safe to say, unsurprisingly, that despite some sort of fighting talk about how they could still turn things around and it's not necessarily fatal, I think it's safe to say that they're quite demoralised. <laughs> and um, I think that so soon into entering government to feel like the wind has gone out of their sails and that, you know, having gone in with a very clear vision um, and hopes of what they wanted to achieve, feeling like that's going to be so much harder. But definitely... Um, 
the mood from MPs, even members, is much more pessimistic than those at the heart of Number 10, even if they're feeling demoralised. Just because I suppose you, you can't, if you're right at the top of government, think that you've lost the election two years out. But definitely there's a, a real kind of sense of exhaustion, even though they're only a few weeks in. And so I've um, spoken to quite a, quite a number of, um, of advisors and ministers today who are intending to have a very big drink tonight after quite an exhausting time of it. Just in case Liz Truss wasn't already aware she had a bit of a problem on her hands, some new research published that evening hammered it home. New polling showed that the word most commonly associated with Liz Truss is now there's no nice way to put this, incompetent. And that was followed in second place by useless and then by untrustworthy. I'm given to believe that this damning research in the handy form of a word cloud was being shared gleefully in the group chat with Michael Gove and some of the other people who'd been causing a ruckus at conference. I'm also given to believe that the group chat in question is called Phoenix the thing that survives during a period of destruction and managed to rise from the ashes. Here's Tom Lubbock, co-founder of JL Partners, the pollster behind that word cloud. The real worry for the Conservative Party was that in the first week of Liz Truss's um, government, the reactions were quite positive about her. We saw in the Red Wall, we saw people saying they were determined. She was determined. They were saying that she persevered. But it's essentially turned on a dime and over the course of the last week and over the weekend when we did this latest word cloud we found that people's views had turned almost completely negative and this word incompetent is really the one that dominates. And what do you make of what we've seen today in terms of rumblings of cabinet splits and disagreements over policy? How significant is that in terms of voter perceptions and, and the kind of things that this trust is hoping to do how popular are they how, how unpopular are they so we did some polling on um, friday that went into a saturday papers and one of the things we were tracking was a measure of how divided the public think the two parties are and almost half the public now will describe the Conservative Party as divided, and that was before the conference started. It's the one thing that voters are really acutely tuned into because people know what division looks like. They know it from their own families. They know a divided party when they see it from just listening to the most, uh, the shortest clips of news. And those are the numbers that you see bumping up and down really quite quickly. When a party is divided, it's very, very hard to persuade the public on whatever you're currently trying to do. So it's a kind of, you need that level of unity to convince the public that the rest of the things you're doing are actually in their interest. Um, and just to, just to lay it out starkly for us, you know, you've been um, commenting on how the Conservative Party is polling you know, for the past year. How bad is it right now? She does seem to have become very, very unpopular very quickly. Um, you look at John Major and Margaret Thatcher, they went through periods of unpopularity, but they were after having actually um, got their feet under the desk and made their name with the public, whereas this very, very rapid decline in popularity back to the levels that Boris Johnson was at 
in early July is really unprecedented. Her incredibly low ratings do mean that she is in, in deep trouble. She doesn't have that well of support with the public. She doesn't have that ability to bounce back that Boris Johnson displayed right up until Partygate when he torpedoed his reputation. Penny Mordaunt toured the receptions and parties that night, insisting to everyone who would listen that her comments weren't a story, without actually denying her position. Liz Truss, meanwhile, wasn't to be seen at any of the receptions that night. She stayed in her suite with her husband, preparing to fight for her survival in her first conference speech as Prime Minister. Wednesday, day four, The Reckoning. That's right, it's the last day of Tory party conference. Behind me you can hear uh, anti-Brexit protesters. Steve Bray, who we normally find outside Parliament, has relocated to Birmingham for the experience. I've just walked past Ian Duncan Smith with his suitcase. That's one person who's not going to Liz Truss's speech. Um, I think... um, there's, there aren't very high expectations for, for this, but it's a, it's a big moment for Liz Trust. We're going to head on through security now and uh, go and take the mood of members and MPs, if there are any. Everything's already packed up, um, just a security presence and the old person, but because of the train strikes, lots of members may also have gone home. And the parties last night... There was an acknowledgement that this is going to be tricky for Liz Truss. She's not a great speaker at the best of times, and this is a really nerve-wracking moment for her. Morning, Therese. You looking forward to the speech? Very much. It's going to be great. Deputy Prime Minister Therese Coffey there. I'm just looking for a good spot to watch the speech from. Morning, Henry Dyer from The Guardian. How are Uh, things? I thank you. What, what would you say the mood is this morning? Very empty vibes. The bar last night was very empty. Uh, it's very quiet here. Everyone's gone home. So we've just heard from Nadim Zahawi, the Education Secretary, and they're setting up the podium for the Prime Minister, uh, get Britain moving up on the stage. Um, it's um, projected rather than stuck on this time so there's no risk of those letters falling off like they did for Theresa May because that would be the last thing this trust needs right now huge huge gaggle of photographers at the foot of the stage waiting for her arrival and we're sitting just behind those on the main conference hall it's a mixture of journalists and um, there are actually a few MPs a few rare MPs sitting right behind me uh, the ones who haven't um, already gone back to their constituencies because of the train strikes and to be frank an an unwillingness to hang around and it does make you wonder how full would this room be if it wasn't packed with press please welcome the prime minister my friends It's great to be with you here in Birmingham. It's fantastic to see the cranes across the skyline. Green priest protesters have just suddenly stood up 
and they're yelling, get out. The protesters were a bit of a gift to Truss. The room got behind her and she made her case for growth, for tax cutting, for a pie that we need to grow and even a dig at podcasters. From broadcast to podcast, they peddle the same old answers. It's always more taxes, more regulation and more meddling. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Grab a chat with some of the Tory MPs sitting behind me. Tom Hunt, the MP for Ipswich. Hi Tom, what did you think of the speech? Really good, really good. I think it's picked a lot of people up. Yeah. I think it was passionate. I think she showed some real passion. And yeah, that was, that was really pleased. Do you think that'll be enough for colleagues who've been causing trouble in recent yeah, I think, days? I think, it, I, think it will, I think it will be. Um, I think the last few weeks have been difficult. Uh, but I think she outlined there in, in a powerful way and communicated powerfully what her vision is. And I, ho- I hope for some people who perhaps didn't understand it, they now do. Lee Anderson, the MP for Ashfield. Lee, what did you make of the speech? Very positive. Um, she's got a vision. She's got... Um, look, I think, she, I think she was great. I mean, how many sun innovations were there? That was just, that was just superb. She's talking my language. Yes, the one who insisted like, well, it wasn't a U-turn. Just a change of policy. I think, all things considered, that was as as good a speech as she could possibly have hoped for. Um, some quite powerful lines. Um, a, a couple of awkward moments, as you would expect from Liz Truss, where people didn't quite know when to clap and there was an awkward silence. Uh, but mostly, I think, um, I had a sense that there was a reasonably positive mood in the hall. It was very good. She was very punchy. It was, it was much better than I thought she'd be. She kept the sort of upbeat motion she had from the National Convention. Um, and actually, the whole green freeze process ended up playing a favour, uh, I thought. So, yeah. It's been a tough few days for the Tory party. Do you think that that speech will have done anything to turn it around? Um, she's only been in the job two weeks. Give her a chance, you know. Thank you very much. Cheers. It was a motivational speech. It was a brilliant speech. I was, I was concerned she won't be as good as... Uh, Braverman yesterday, but she was far better. She's got the whole Conservative Party behind her. Jacob rees here. Jacob rees How are you? Brilliant speech. Absolutely excellent. Good, solid Conservative policies. Tax cutting, helping people with energy bills. Really important. I thought she handled it extremely well. I thought the whole speech was very good because it set out sound Conservative principles. Will it be enough to calm the nerves of, of, some, of some party colleagues? Oh, yes, yes. Nobody should have any nerves. It's all calm. All calm. Hello. Despite the dulcet, calming tones of Jacob Rees-Mogg, at this point, I turned off my recorder. I caught up with some MPs, some far away from the conference hall, about what they really thought of the speech. And the agreement was that it couldn't have gone better, but it didn't change the fundamentals. She wants to do radical things. Great, said one MP. She still doesn't have the votes to do that. We just grabbed Casey Balls for a second. Casey, do you think that that speech makes any sort of difference? Well, I think it didn't make things worse. And actually, at party conference, where at times it's felt as though 
a collective conservative nervous breakdown that is a positive for Liz Truss a conference speech is not going to fix your premiership it's also not going to fix lots of the really big problems she has uh, when it comes to the economy the news about mortgage rate rises but it does set the narrative and I think had you had a disastrous speech like Theresa May's when everything dropped and she couldn't speak it just adds to the sense of panic and I wonder if this actually will give Liz Truss a bit of time to try and actually steady the ship but of course going to parliament next week with a disruptive party that doesn't really want to come together um, means that's probably quite optimistic thinking and we've just bumped into Patrick Maguire from the Times um, How serendipitous two great pundits well one great pundit and Patrick Maguire <laughs> in the same vicinity um, what do you make of, of that of the speech and just sort of I suppose the, the conference overall as we leave where is the Tory party well uh, the, the answer to your second question is utterly divided. But I think Liz Truss did do a good job, in fairness, of cauterising the wounds that have been inflicted over the past couple of days. It was, by her standards, a well-delivered speech. Um, she could have very very easily been thrown off her balance completely and looked completely inept and adrift when the protesters disrupted her. Instead, she used that as an instrument, a blunt instrument, to make her point about you know that coalition of chaos between Mick Lynch and the BBC and Extinction Rebellion and, and Greenpeace and the rest of the... Uh, the pinko hippies in the country who are obstructing her conservative agenda. So, look, I think she did all that she could have done in that situation. But fundamentally, look, you either agree with the analysis of the economy and the economic policy in that speech, or you don't. And her problem is that lots of conservative MPs don't agree with it, including members of her cabinet. As Katie said, she didn't know worse the situation, but it hasn't improved. Her authority is still pretty shot. Uh, but I think what that speech has brought her is a little bit of time. She doesn't look like her premiership is on the brink of collapse. But at the same time, cracks have merely been papered over for a little while. So Liz Truss survived party conference, just about. But those days have revealed the scale of the challenge ahead. The Conservative Party seems lost. The leadership election didn't resolve the deep ideological divide over what happens next. And the country is facing problems that would daunt any government. What is going to happen when the MPs come back to Westminster on Monday? What will she be able to do in the coming months? And how long will her premiership even last? We've seen economic crisis, warnings from the IMF, rebellions, U-turns, cabinet splits. And as one Tory MP reminded me with an almost hysterical laugh, With the Queen dying, Liz Truss has only really been Prime Minister for two weeks. I think we're in for a bumpy ride. And it's only just beginning. Thanks for listening to Westminster Insider with me, Alva Ray. If you've enjoyed it, please spread the word, follow us and maybe leave us a nice review. And don't forget, you can go back and listen to past episodes, including... If there are any Tory MPs listening, that one from season five on how to topple a prime minister. Who would have thought we'd be digging that one out again so soon? It was very nice to meet so many of you at both conferences this year, and I'm very glad so many of you took our conference survival tips to heart. My producer this week was Eve Streeter of Whistledown Productions, and here at Politico, my executive producer is Christina Gonzalez, and my editor is Jack Blanchard. I'm off to have a lie down. We'll be back next week. See you then. 
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.